0: well good morning morning. hello church um how fun um how fun um as norton told you uh i i have known norton for uh a very long time i met norton and when janice and norton were dating back in the late 90s in austin texas The fun thing about uh, Giannis, um, I have known Giannis since the late 80s, gosh, that was long ago, Um, when we were both young life leaders at the University of Texas at Austin, Um, and the reality is I have prayed for New Denver Church since its very, very, very beginning, Um, before folks even started meeting at Duffy Rolls. So um, in so many ways, it is a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, So thanks to Norton, thanks to the NDC staff for the invitation to be present with you guys for a bit. Um, And a confession as I start. Um, Norton's told you guys that I am a quote Old Testament scholar. Um, what he didn't tell you, which is very classic in the academy or in university context, I'm not a expert in the Old Testament. I am a Psalms expert, uh, which is a very narrow chunk. And one would think being a Psalms expert, that you would hear a sermon on the Psalms this morning. i um, uh, And it would have been so easy to write a sermon on a psalm and to deliver it with all my arms rising and like, you know, so gracefully. Um, And that's not what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, When Norton asked me uh, about would I be interested or willing to um, come preach on a Sunday um, in January, my mind immediately went to the fact that this might be an invitation actually. Um, While I could have preached on the psalm and that would be delightful, I felt like there was embedded in that an invitation uh, to explore a book that I've always been curious about, but a book that I've never done a deep dive in. Um, So, I will ask you to bear with me because, in fact, I will have to look at this set of notes um, that I have in front of me, probably more than I would wish, we'll see how I do. Um, I promise, back row, I love the back row corner. You guys are the best because that's where I usually sit, well done. Although I've moved this podium this way, I will try to engage you guys and then try to talk to you guys. But I probably won't do it very well. So just, again, bear with me along the way. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes starts meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is how Kohelet, what the NIV translates as the teacher or the narrator of the book of Ecclesiastes, begins this 12-chapter exploration of uh, what the narrator uh, references to life under the sun, our existence. As many of you experienced last summer as you read through the Bible in 2023, well done, you guys. The book of Ecclesiastes is a challenge to read. Um, As Old Testament scholar, Ellen Davis, and I will let you guys know, there's two friends along the way that I bring. Um, uh, I'll just do a quick side note. The reality is everybody's a learner. Um, And one of the great gifts along the way is that resources are written to start to answer your questions. If you're curious about the book of the Bible, things exist called commentaries. They actually move verse by verse by verse. Um, So if you have questions, please explore them. And by the way, you're supposed to as you read the Bible. So two folks that you will hear along the way, one is Ellen Davis, she teaches at Duke. She's an awesome scholar. Uh, The other is Michael Fox, who is an Old Testament scholar from Madison, Wisconsin, who's Jewish. So a Christian and a Jew, a woman and a man. Um, You'll hear a bit in the beginning, but most of the sermon, you'll hear from me. So Ellen Davis, Old Testament scholar, notes, Reading on from Proverbs into Ecclesiastes, which some of you guys did, means moving from mainstream Israelite wisdom to the most eccentric of Israel's sages. It means moving from a way of thinking that largely conforms to common sense, think about Proverbs, um, while at the same time that book showing great theological depth, to one Ecclesiastes that highlights every absurdity in the human experience, every contradiction in human thought. Sometimes it's hard to make heads or tails of this book. Um, In preparing this sermon, I read the book multiple times, maybe 15. Sometimes I read it forwards, and sometimes I read it backwards multiple times, chapter by chapter, trying to figure out its logical flow. And guess what? I'm stumped, um, and I join a whole host of other scholars who come to the same conclusion about this book. Much of Ecclesiastes is a deep dive into the absurdities and incongruities, the ephemer, ephemerality, love that word, and fleeting nature of life. And I'll read uh, just from the intro of Fox's commentary, um, who says it quite well. This is a new addition to my commentaries, by the way. It arrived yesterday. That's why I didn't make it into my notes. Ecclesiastes is a strange and disquieting book. It gives voice to an experience not usually thought of as religious, the pain and frustration engendered by an unblinking gaze at life's absurdities and injustices. Kohelet is not a methodical thinker, no, who has worked out a systematic worldview and now presents it in an organized fashion There is much irregularity and repetition in the way he develops his thought and much tension among his observations and beliefs. Kohelet faces life's inequities and absurdities and refuses to impose pat and reassuring meanings on them. Yet, he maintains a faith in God's rule and foundational justness and he looks for ways to create a meaningful life in a world where so much is senseless. The presence of the book of Ecclesiastes in the canon of sacred scripture brings this type of thought into, an, into the compass of authentic Jewish Fox, and Christian sacred scripture. Oh, and yet, I would say, (laughs) as I lose my place, that was so well-written. I love scholars that can write well. They're out there, by the way. And what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes is that in the midst of the author's deep dive into the sense of absurdity, incongruity, meaninglessness, is that um, every now and then the teacher or co comes up for air. And in the midst of that, he offers a surprising repeated invitation, uh, appearing in the first first in the end of chapter 2. We'll look at that. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat and find enjoyment... Variations of this exhortation occur in, both here in 2:24, as well as 312 to 13, in 3,22, in five eighteen, 18, in eight, uh, uh, 15, and in nine, 17, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes. This same idea gets pulled through this coming up for air that we find in the book. In our time together, I want to consider this invitation to eat and drink and find satisfaction in our toil or work and explore what gifts are embedded in the surprising exhortation found in the midst of a book of the Bible that keeps reminding us that life is meaningless. Um, And by the word, this word meaningless is how the NIV translates the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, Havel, which can also be translated vanity, vanity of vanities, all this vanity, fleeting, ephemeral, and what the teacher refers to with the image of grasping after wind, or having something that slips through our fingers. I'm constantly surprised that in the midst of a discourse on the fleeting nature of life, With its irreconcilable contradictions, Kohelet keeps calling us back to two aspects of life that have ability to root or to ground us in the everyday. Um, Of these two, the first is the daily need to eat and drink. A need that is part of God's very good creation plan of Genesis 1. This still amazes me. Um, God could have created us without this need. It's an everyday, daily need to eat and drink. It could have been like air. It could have been easy. And yet something embedded in this need is part of the goodness of how God made us. Uh, The second idea is from Genesis 2. Our daily engagement with the stuff of earth, the ground, the soil, the very thing we were made from and invited to care for. So two of these ideas from Genesis rooted in this invitation part of the reason i chose ecclesiastes for today's sermon is because i've been drawn to its celebration of quote the ordinary things of life food and work and if you hail from a more liturgical minded church in your past which is one that i did um You may remember that this season, that in this time frame between the the two major church seasons or celebration, um, two that New Denver Church celebrates, this movement of Advent to Christmas. We just came off of that, yeah? We were all here, yeah? Some of you guys were here, some were. Um, And as we get ready of this move of Lent into Easter, and Lent starts on Valentine's Day this year, oh my gosh, that's early, is this beautiful season of time that the church celebrates, and guess what they call it? Ordinary time. It's one of the celebrations, and I love it. It's probably my favorite season, better than uh, Christmas or Easter sometimes. What we find is, in the midst of this, is this season of ordinary time, which we find ourselves in, it's week four of ordinary time, It seemed like a really good idea to look at a book that reminds us of the simple gifts of our ordinary days. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet is quick to remind his audience that the future of all our our earthly toil, our accumulation of the signs and markers and trophies that point to our significance in this world, For us contemporary folks, it might be money. It might be, in fact, reputation. It may be followers on Instagram. It could be our children and the character of how our children turn out. Whatever we honor and hold value in as it relates to our reputations, um, signs and markers of our significance, um, we find that um, in the midst of this, our inflact, Kohelet reminds us are fleeting and ultimately out of our control, that we can't take these things with us, and we can't really control any of these things, especially after we die. So if these things are then meaningless, according to Kohelet, how should we then live? For Kohelet, it comes down to a change in perspective. The answer is found in the everyday, ordinary routines of our lives, in the delight in daily meals, in an honest day's work. It's in these quotidian, which I love that word by the way, which simply means daily, in these quotidian endeavors, we are invited to see God, his presence with us and his presence in us. For the remainder of our time, I'd like to ponder this idea together. Um, a few years ago, I was in uh, the local, my local branch of the Denver Public Library, the Uni- Ross University branch that I now go to, and they always have these display tables. I don't know if you've been in a public library recently. You should go. It's free. Get a library card. Amazing. Amazing. Um, but they always have these display tables, and although I go in to get a book that's on the whole shelf. I always find myself looking at the display table because there's going to be a book that I've never seen that I wouldn't choose. Um, When I went in a few months ago uh, to pick up a book, um, I saw on that display table a book that caught my eye. It was called How to Eat. Um, If you know me, you know I love food. Um, I am a foodie by nature and heart. And so I picked this book up, started flipping through it, and near the end of this collection of um, reflections by the Buddhist philosopher Thich Nhat Hanh, a book published in 2014, near the end was a short reflection, and it was entitled, The Purpose of Breakfast. And here's the reflection. A few years ago, I asked some children, what is the purpose of eating breakfast? One boy replied, to get energy for the day. Another said, the purpose of breakfast is to eat breakfast. I think the second child is more correct. The purpose of eating is to eat. The purpose of eating is to eat. Eating invites us to be present to the moment we're in. It's quite profound, actually. It requires our attention. It's extremely hard to eat and read a book, although I try to do it all the time, eat and type on the computer, eat and even check my phone. Um, Eating invites us um, to be present. And yet so often, I try to do these ridiculous things. What we find is throughout most of human history, eating has been a time to pause in our work, a time to be refreshed, to be filled. It has been something that we do together for most of human history, um, together with family, together with coworkers, co-laborers, together with those around us who our lives are connected in some way. Um, Lately, I've been struck by the fact that eating moves us out of our brains, where we so often stay, our brains, which are constantly problem-solving, constantly trying to keep us alive, out of danger, and invites us, eating does, to engage and to delight in the world with our senses, with taste and smell, with sight and touch and sometimes even sound, ah, the glorious sound of meat on a grill, the satisfying sound of a crunchy potato chip. All this beauty, all this beauty, connected to the means of meeting a simple, elemental human need for daily nourishment. It gives new meaning to the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What might be embedded there. But back to Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Here, Kohelet again makes this direct connection of eating and enjoyment and then moves on to consider work or toil and joy. Hmm. For some of us who have had seasons or a lifetime of finding no joy in what we might spend our days doing, whether by choice or necessity, this might be the harder of the two invitations to sit with. Listen again to the exhortation in chapter 2. It's the first time Kohelik comes up for air after a tirade about life's meaninglessness. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? There's this repetition of words within these times where Kohelet comes up for air seven times in the book. Eat, drink, satisfaction, toil, God, enjoyment. Later in uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, again, these same words. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift from God. I have to confess that I have done a lot of seemingly meaningless jobs in my life. In my early 20s, I sold silkscreen wildflower t-shirts at a kiosk in the mall. It's great. During grad school, I was paid to scan ID cards at the college rec center. Um, And just this last year, I washed dishes for minimum wage at a cooking school. Um, Yet, in each of these, quote, meaningless jobs, I surprisingly found great delight, even joy. The delight of well-folded t-shirts. By the way, uh, that year I learned to use a folding board, amazing, Um, and the delight of a well-organized kitchen. I found great satisfaction in learning the names of Rec Center patrons so I could greet them by name even before they handed me their card to scan. And just this last year, I experienced deep joy in celebrating with my kitchen coworkers as we walk through various life seasons together. T-shirts, ID cards, dirty dishes. All quite meaningless in the grand scheme of things. And in my life, I've also experienced times where the work of my hands felt significant, important, even respected. I'm teaching curious minds in a university uh, classroom. Delivering academic papers in Cambridge and Oxford. Being asked to help create a curriculum for a Christian university. And yet, as Kohelet is quick to remind me, these activities will in fact mostly be forgotten. Students will become jaded with learning. And as Kohelet reminds us of the making of many books or academic papers, Uh, There is no end and much study wearies the body. It's how chapter 12 begins to close in the book. And unfortunately, universities will close their doors and the legacy I left will be no more. And yet. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Because that is their lot. For who can bring for who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So you may be asking, what exactly is Kohelet's charge? How is this charge relevant to the 21st century? I'll close our time by giving you three reasons that come to mind. The first is Kohelet's invitation to be attentive to the gifts of the present moment. Again, uh, Kohelet's invitation to be attentive to the gifts of the present moment. In our modern world, we often live disconnected from time. In pre COVID days, it seems that we're constantly planning and living for future events. It's a vacation, it's when something ends, it's always looking to the future. Post COVID, we spend most of our time now feeling anxious about the future, a future we're not fully we are fully aware might change at the drop of a hat. Instead of this anxious planning or fearing, Ecclesiastes offers us an invitation to be present in and attentive to each moment of our lives. It reminds us that there is good in the here and the now, and that the simple activities that fill our lives, work, food, hold the possibility of satisfaction, even joy. Second, I would argue that Ecclesiastes offers us a reframe for our work lives. Ecclesiastes offers a reframe for our work lives. Ecclesiastes reminds us that toil and labor and work can be good, not meaningless. Unlike the Old Testament world that was mostly agrarian, farm-based, we don't often get to see the work of our hands from start to finish. So often we only play a very small role in something much bigger. We sit in front of a computer screen. We analyze data. Um, We work from home. We work alone. Ecclesiastes offers us an invitation to reconsider, to reframe the activities that consume our days. Maybe it's a time to consider how joy and satisfaction might be found in the simple daily work of our hands and minds Instead of waiting to celebrate a project's end or the culmination of our career. And lastly, I think Ecclesiastes invites us or invites us to remember that delight is close at hand. Again, that delight is in fact close at hand. God made us with this daily need to eat. And in our busy worlds, we often try to fill this basic need in the easiest, most convenient, non-labor-intensive, quickest way. And yet, could this basic human necessity be an invitation to reconsider what it means to be human? To explore the gifts of God's good creation in all its variety, in all its tastes and textures. January in Colorado may not be the best month to celebrate the benefits of locally grown food. We still have snow on the ground. But still, maybe now is the time to consider cultivating a new and renewed awareness and appreciation of food and local food systems this might be the time and by the way it is the time to consider joining a csa a community supported agriculture Um, buying into a farm share by the way you can start to google that there's lots of places in denver farmers who do and now is the time remember that not in may Um, it might be a time that you start to plan for a raised bed garden in your backyard Ooh, that's novel does not require that much work or Think about, simply, this spring into summer, raising food in containers. In, in a, yes, that's a container. A pot, <laughs> that is the right word. A pot on your back porch. By the way, you can grow food in simply those little pots. Yeah? Tomatoes, Mmm, yeah. Greens, super fun. Or it might be a time to start reading a little bit more about our local food systems and our national food systems. And by the way, Wendell Berry. If you never read Wendell Berry, he's a good one. Track him down. Yes, Kohelet reminds us there is much that is meaningless in our world, much that we invest our time and labor in that will simply pass away. And yet, in this meaningless world, there is still endless opportunity for joy and satisfaction. If only we stop to reconsider the extraordinarily ordinary gifts found in the enjoyment of and satisfaction in God's good gifts, gifts of food and work. For as Keloheleth reminds us, this, in fact, is a gift of God. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that in your world, ordinary is good. Because ordinary is what marks most of our lives. Father, I thank you for your invitation into good, simple gifts. Father, I thank you for the book of Kohelet, um, or the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Father, for the oddness of it, the at times confusingness of it the in-your-faceness of it um, as the author wrestles with the life they see. Father, thank you for the embedded sweetness, the goodness, the invitation towards things that are within reach. So, Father, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the weeks ahead. May you give us eyes to see. May you help our hearts begin to understand your ways in this world. We ask all this in the name of your Son, through your Spirit. Amen.